A self-proclaimed rebel, Elaine Bradley remembers sitting in primary and wishing she didn't know the things she knew. She didn't want to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and yet in 2014, as a young mom, Bradley, the drummer of the popular rock band Neon Trees, proudly proclaimed in a video, I'm a drummer, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, and I'm a Mormon. But being in an I Am a Mormon video that has been viewed by millions was by no means a destination of faith for Bradley. And today we talk about how her beliefs have evolved in the years since and why she is grateful for a prophet who has placed emphasis on our being known first and foremost as Christians. Elaine Bradley is best known as the drummer for Neon Trees, but she is also in another band called Noble Bodies. Most recently, she is the host of a BYU TV show called Grace Notes. She and her husband, Sebastian, are the parents of four children. They currently reside in Germany. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so excited to have Elaine Bradley on the line with me today. Elaine, welcome. Thank you. Uh, It's really good to be here uh, remotely. Well, I am so excited about this. I've admired you since your I Am a Mormon video came out years and years ago and love the music that you've created. and, And I just think... You are a a light to people within our faith and outside of our faith, and I appreciate that. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. All right. I better not let you down. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. All right. So my first question, I, I watched an interview with you. I watched several things as I prepped for this interview, and I watched one where you said that you wished your I'm a Mormon video could have been longer. So the good news is we've got plenty of time to talk today. And right. because you usually on your new show, Grace Notes on BYU TV, you usually interview other people about their faith. We're going to talk all about your faith today. One of the things that has struck me in the episodes of Grace Notes that I've watched is that you often tackle the complexity of faith. And I wondered why you believe, first of all, that it's important to have conversations like the one that we're going to have today about the complexities associated with belief and faith. Oh, I think, I mean, I'm sure there. this is a multifaceted answer, but the thing that first comes to mind is when we oversimplify what it means to believe in Christ, because the thing about believing in Christ is it is so simple, but it's also so hard. And I think anybody who's trying to exercise faith in Jesus Christ can understand that statement, you know? And so I I think growing up for me, um, praise music never really did it for me because it always seemed like uh, rose-colored glasses. And and I just never felt that way. I never, and I'm jealous of people who do. And it's not wrong if you just feel to sing the song of redeeming love all the time. It's great. But just on a personal level, I just have always been conflicted about my spirituality and my humanity. I've always felt like two different people shoved into, you know, a sausage casing together, which is my body. (laughs) And I'm just constantly fighting. You know what I mean? So like, to me, those kinds of conversations where you talk about the complexity of faith and, and, and really not even the complexity of faith, but the complexity of exercising faith as a fallible human, I think to me is just so beautiful because everybody's got that problem. 
we're all humans. We all desire to do things we don't want to do, which is a crazy thing to say. You know, it's like, I don't want to do that, but I want to do it so much. You know what I mean? And vice versa, like, I don't want to do that, but wait a minute. uh, You know, I... I, I do want to do it. It's just, it's such a, such a struggle to be a human and to come, come to an understanding of, of, of how to accept yourself, but also to keep pushing yourself, you know? And I think we, we really struggle as humans to find that, that line where Christ wants us to live between accepting yourself too much and not accepting yourself enough. You know what I mean? So that to me is like the essence of, of, you know, navigating faith. Yeah. You, bring up an interesting point because in in that same interview the interviewer asked you they said um do you find any incongruity in what you do for a living and being a latter day saint and your immediate response was fascinating to me because you said i find total incongruity with being a human and being a latter day saint and i think i have an idea of what you meant by that but could you kind of elaborate on that well, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I was just talking about. Like, there is such incongruity with just being a human and following the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is perfect, and we are not. And so, therefore, we will always fall short, which, thank heaven, literally, for Jesus, because that's the whole point. Like, His grace comes in where we fall short. And so, yeah, I mean, I incongruity... I feel I I constantly feel like there's something wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there is. I'm here, and I'm I'm meant for more than this. I am more than this. I, I'm capable of being more than this, and yet I am not at this moment more than this. And so it's it's terribly incongruous or incongruous. How to use? I don't know what the correct pronunciation <laughs> on that is. Yeah, no, I agree, and I also don't know the correct pronunciation. So we're just going to roll with that. Okay, but, sounds good. <laughs> but I think that that is such a power point. And it's true. If we are all, if our purpose here is to become like God and to become disciples of Jesus Christ, then we're always going to fill that dissonance between who we are and who we are trying to become. But that's, that's where Christ fills in that gap. Elaine, in your I Am a Mormon video, which I know was years ago, and I, I'm interested also, as we talk about this, what your journey of faith since then has looked like, because you've experienced a lot, I can imagine, as all of us do over several years time. But talk to me a little bit about your journey of faith. You mentioned that that you felt like two different people. So tell us a little bit about that and where your belief right now stands. Well, uh, that's a that's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let, let me unpack it. So so yes, there has been a lot of growth, growth. Just to give you kind of like context, that that was filmed when my oldest son Bryce was just a couple of months old, and he is now turning eight in July. So that that was a long time ago. So in that time, I, I think it's interesting. I feel like I'm more of a Christian now. And let me explain that. So uh, this is this is kind of, you know, through the lens of growing up with the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I kind of grew grow up, like grew up feeling more Mormon than Christian. And right. I I think in the the past, you know, seven, eight years, I've actually like 
learned to identify more with the Christian community. So where I, I actually feel like a Christian first and then like like the Mormon is the, de- the denomination of Christian. Do you know what I mean? Which right. I think is a really good yeah. and healthy thing. And I, I think, you know, the president of the church, Russell M. Nelson, is is doing a good job of, of really honing in on the fact that, hey, guys, Christ is the thing and we are Christians and that is what we are. That is the essence of what we are. It's no nickname. It's no, you know... And it's nothing else. It's Christ. He's he's the reason. And I, I think it took me a long time. I always believed, like, you know, when I, I received a testimony of the Book of Mormon, I, I was actually surprised that it talked about Christ so much, which is a sad thing to, to admit. But like, you know, as a kid, I always remembered like Nephi and Lehi and Mormon and Laman and Lem, you know, just all the names and Alma. But reading it again for the first time as an adult, really trying to find out if it was true, I noticed that all of the people's names that I remembered were all talking about Christ. You know what I mean? So it was like, wow, wait a minute. This book is truly, oh, I get it. It's another testament of Jesus Christ. And so I, I think gaining my own testimony of the Savior through the Book of Mormon and through the Bible has helped me to understand what my testimony is of. which is of Jesus Christ, you know, and like the Book of Mormon is one of the tools that I use to learn more about him and to get closer to him, but it's not the thing in my faith. Do you know what I mean? So I've enjoyed that, uh, that kind of, I keep on thinking of German words, (laughs) 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 Uh, that, that development, that kind of path that I've taken with my faith has been refreshing. And I, I never used to enjoy Christian music like at all. And probably about like six, seven, no, actually five or six years ago is when I first started dabbling in listening to Christian artists. And I found a lot of music that I really enjoy. And it's it's fun to hear other Christians sing about Christ. And it's sometimes it's praise and other times it's about the realities of, of trying to navigate life as a human, knowing how much better you could be if you were perfect, but you're not. And just being confronted with that sad reality day in and day out. So I found a lot of solace in other Christians' views about Jesus Christ and, and their faith. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, where I stand now is is firmly planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I guess, just, just hoping for better things. And just, I try every day to just not rest on you know, rest on my laurels, basically, just saying, oh, I've done enough. I, I think, I think when you get to that point, you can rest assured that you are not in a good place when you think you've done enough. You know, so I, I think, yeah. I, I think I've gotten better at balancing my own self hatred and loathing uh, with hope in Christ. You know, to where the point where my hope in Christ is actually bigger than my self loathing and self hatred. So that's a good, that's a good direction. I think. Absolutely. No, I would agree with you. And I I love your answer to that just because I think I feel the same way. I think it wasn't until recently that I started to realize how much of what I know about Christ comes from the Book of Mormon and also just coming to appreciate the the many good things that there are even outside of the church about Christ. And so kind of trying to dig into those things, music, literature, etc. And that has strengthened my testimony. I think sometimes we have this tendency to think, oh, well, 
I'm a, I'm a Latter-day Saint. So I, I don't want to delve into other people's faith, but for me, at least that has only strengthened my, my belief in this church. And it has blessed my life to associate with people of other religions and to embrace and respect their faith. I loved the thought that you, you shared about how kind of your faith has evolved over time and that you used to think of yourself as a Mormon, as we formerly were known, but now you think of yourself as a Christian. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately, about the evolution of faith and about how I feel like my testimony is ultimately, like right now, the result of things that I've experienced in the past five years. And that's not to say that like my mission didn't matter or that my the things my parents tried to teach me didn't matter. But the things that I've experienced recently have changed me so much that I feel like that's what my testimony consists of. You have experienced a lot, like we said already. And in a, in a recent interview, you talked about some new music that you've been working on. And you said, it's all the same questions. Like, is this real? Is there a God? Do I have a purpose here? Is there a purpose? What is going on? What is this existence? I think the crisis where you leave, you decide, no, I don't believe in that. And when you stay, you decide, I have no reason not to believe that. And it brings me the most hope and gives me the most peace in my life. So I'm going to stay. One of the reasons that we started this podcast, Elaine, is because we wanted to show that the decision to stay many times is just as deliberate and thoughtful as the decision to leave. So for you, why have you decided to stay? And how has that been a thoughtful, deliberate decision on your part? Well, I mean, I've, they're once again, multifaceted, but I think I've decided to stay because I've left and realized that there's really nothing out there for me that's better. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that I've left like in, I've never left in an angry way or I've actually never not believed in God. But I, I when I kind of like didn't care what that mean meant for me, it was more like, you know, I, I'll just you, you take it or leave it. I'll leave it. You know, I'll just leave it alone for now. I, I don't think I've ever really left, but I've left it alone for seasons. And in doing so, uh, it's it just something always just gnaws me, gnaws me back into action, if that makes sense. And I don't, I, obviously, I can't say what's in other people's hearts or what's in other people's minds, or what happens to people and why they make the decisions that they do. But But I can speak to why I make the decisions I do. And there is nothing that I would like more than for like the church and the gospel to be not true so that it would let me off the hook so I could do whatever <laughs> I wanted, whenever I wanted. You know what I mean? I think that's like the the basic human desire is like, I want to do what I want. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like I've, I growing up, I, I never I never felt like a, a fealty to God more than I felt like a resentment that he was there. Like I never questioned that he was there. It was just, oh, how am I going to, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to feel about it? You know what I mean? So as a kid, I always kind of resented it. And it was kind of an inconvenient truth. It was very annoying to me that there was a God because then that, that meant that there had, that had to mean something. And I didn't want to know what that meant because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, <laughs> so that, that kind of dumb stuff, but, you know, as I got older and, and realized that my own choices and the things that 
I want to do in my selfish way, they don't really bring me joy or lasting happiness or any kind of like meaning and fulfillment just by sad experience and then trying to understand, okay, well then what does? And to me, it's not even like fulfillment or joy in the overt sense, but to me, the reason I stay, if I could sum it up into one thing would be peace of conscience. It, it wins every time. So when I have done things that I knew I probably shouldn't do, I'm not even talking about like drastic things, just just things that I'm like, eh, there's, there's a cognitive dissonance happening and I'm going to ignore it and I'm going to do the thing. I just, I, there's no peace. There's no peace that I can find. There's no counterfeit I can find for peace. There's just, there's nothing I can do except for repent and try and do what I, what I have experienced through the spirit is true and real and important for this life and for the next, you know, so like the lasting stuff. And it's not always the most convenient or enjoyable stuff now. I mean, having kids is like the greatest and the worst at the same time. And you can't have the one without the other. Like the same thing for when I served a mission, it was like the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, they brought me so much joy, but I hated it. But I also really enjoyed it. And so it's like, it's like everything that's worth anything comes in a complete package of good and bad and discomfort and comfort. And, you know, I just don't think you can separate the two. So if you're looking for a life of ease, you're going to miss out on the peace. You know what I mean? So I just, that's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry about that. But to me, it really boils down. Like, I I remember I taught Sunday school um, to the teenagers and I was at the church I was in, in in Orem, and before we moved to Germany. And it was, I really enjoyed that calling so much. But one time I was like, you guys, why do you want to go to heaven? I was like, oh, we're going to go to heaven. It's like, but why, do you really? Like, do you, <laughs> but really, do you want to go to heaven? And, and if you do, why? And my answer is not because like, I don't care about kingdoms of glory. I really don't look forward to that. I don't care about mansions. It's really not that important to me. But I don't want to go anywhere where I'm going to feel uncomfortable for an eternity. I want to go where my God says I'm supposed to go because I think that's the only place where I'm actually going to feel peace. So that's my really my utmost desire for wanting to go to heaven is just because I don't want to feel tortured. One of the things that I watched, you talked about the the grounding force that your husband and your kids have been for you. And I wondered about that. How does that impact the decisions you make and and the way in which you live your faith? Oh man, it has every impact. Like I, I don't want to like sell myself short or like be too I don't know negative about what I would be doing if I didn't have my husband and children. But I can say with like I would I would say seventy eight percent confidence that I would be like like not as good of a person. I would definitely like I probably would. I don't even I don't know. I don't want to assume, but. <laughs> I would do a lot more weird, weird things and iffy things and damaging things to myself. But it's, it's been, I don't know if you can hear the bells in the background from the church that's next door to my no, house in Germany. But, that's like dreamy. You know. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I'm so, I'm such a candid person and I'm so honest that to me, it's not an option to lie to my husband. If I do something, I have to tell him. So I'm not, it's not an option for me to like sneak around and be somebody behind his back that I'm not in front of his face because I can't, I just, just, I don't like lying. I just, I hate it. I don't like (laughs) people lie to me and I don't like to be, you know, I don't like to lie to people. And so 
that in and of itself, this is just the mechanism I have to not be able to like be dishonest to my husband is great because I'm, I live in a, a kind of life in my career where I'm away from him a lot and I don't have the in my face reminder of what he is expecting of me. And I could have three husbands and he wouldn't know, you know what I mean? Like I could do, yeah. do whatever I wanted to do basically if I felt like I could lie about it and get away with it. And I wanted to, I could do it, but it's wonderful because I don't want to lie. And so therefore, if I'm away from him and like, I'll have a thought of like, oh, I could, you know, do this or that. And I think, well, but what I want to tell Sebastian about it. And if the answer is no, then I don't do it. It's like a very clear set of morals that like really helps to guide me way more. Unfortunately, this sounds bad to say, but it's way, way more of a direct effect for me than it is to be like accountable to God because God's always there. God knows me and, you know, he's always watching and always listening. So he kind of knows when I've made the mistake. So I don't have to like come clean to him really ever because he kind of already knows. I just have to be repentant. Whereas my <laughs> husband, I would have to break news to him. You know what I mean? I'd have to be like, yeah. wait a minute. I would have to say these words to you. I just did this. And he would be like, why? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. He keeps me honest just because I have that mechanism where I'm not going to lie and I just know it. So it's been a real, real strength and relief to like be accountable to somebody in front of my face and to somebody that even when they're not in front of my face, I know I'm accountable to. So, yeah, it's been night and day difference for me. Well, and I think that that speaks to your husband, right? And the and the value of surrounding yourself with good people because... If you were not married to somebody like him, it probably wouldn't matter as much. But because of who he is, obviously, he's somebody that that would matter to. And I think that that speaks volumes. Elaine, you have been in the limelight more than many people will be in their lives. And one big part of that has been because of neon trees. And I found it really interesting in this interview that I watched on a television network that will remain nameless because I don't want to be critical, but the the guy was kind of like grilling you on your relationship with Tyler Glenn. And mm. obviously this is not based on Tyler's sexuality, but his kind of being openly critical at times of the church and of our beliefs. And you kind of like put the interviewer in his place because you said, you know, just because I'm in a band with someone doesn't necessarily mean that we talk about everything or we've, you know, made all of these decisions together especially in his personal life. And I, I just wondered, I don't want to harp on that, but I wondered what being in Neon Trees and navigating differences over the last few years in terms of belief has taught you about cultivating relationships of respect with those who may believe differently than us. Yeah, I think, I, I think one thing that I can say comfortably about that whole scenario because you know there was it's it, there was inherent drama with the way that it was done and just you know the, the way that whole thing developed um i think it's it's helped me to be more christian to to truly like say okay well you know yeah, my feelings were hurt by certain aspects of that, or, you know, maybe I don't like it or whatever. But, you know, Tyler is still somebody that I love and respect. And the reason he can hurt my feelings is because I care, you know what I mean? So right. rather than taking the opposite tack of like, 
you know, whatever. I don't, I don't care. It's more like, uh, you know, <laughs> wow, like, let's navigate this. And, and to his credit, he wasn't like, I'm going to write you off, whatever. You're an idiot for believing it. You know, there was none of that, like, yeah. you know, interpersonal disrespect. We just had to navigate his very public denouncing of you know, the faith that I hold dear, basically. So, and we did. And, and I think to both of our credits, we sat down and we talked about it and, you know, apologized to each other for the things that, you know, had bothered each other about each other. And, you know, I just, we're just humans navigating a business together in our own beliefs and our own lives. And like, there's obviously more of a microscope on it, especially because he began as a member of our faith and then so publicly left it. So I, I get why there's, you know, interest there interest, or whatever. Right. But but as far as like our interpersonal relationships go, it's, I don't know, we're very normal now. Well, you know, we, we navigated it. It's fine. He does his thing. I do my thing. And there's no love lost there. You know what I mean? It's not, I, I don't think, I don't think about it very often. And like when I'm with him, I don't think like, oh, you know, if he would just come back to the church, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's not really an issue in our relationship, yeah. which I think is a good thing. I think that's how you navigate faith differences. And it's, I'm not expecting him to, you know, pretend in front of me. And he's not expecting me to pretend for him. Like, yeah, if we're staying in the same Airbnb because we're out in LA recording, I'll get up and I'll go to church and, it's fine. It's not like he's not mad at me. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad at him for not coming with me. So I don't know. I, I wish I kind of see us as a really good example of, of how I wish people in general would treat each other with different views. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. You, you can believe that. I, I don't need to try to constantly convince you that what you think is wrong. And you don't need to constantly try and convince me that what I think is wrong. And we can enjoy each other and laugh and love and just ignore that part of our lives if it doesn't jive. And that's, right. I think it's worked for us. Yeah. If it doesn't serve that relationship, why harp on that one aspect and lose the rest of it? Exactly. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Elaine, another thing that I really loved was as I researched for this interview is I loved listening to you talk about your career and your experience in the music industry because it's clear to me that you view it as a job like any other job. And I think we think of somebody in the music business as a star and that their lives are so much different than ours are. And listening to you talk about it, I felt like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I felt like that's something that you have consciously tried and been deliberate about maintaining perspective of. How have you done that if you have done it? And is that something that you, you have any advice on maintaining perspective about? Well, I mean, I think, it, yeah, obviously my job's a job just because it's like something that I do for money. But I will admit, I don't want to seem like I'm calloused and cold and unappreciative because I will admit that the worst day on my job is the best day on a lot of other people's jobs. So I do feel <laughs> like privileged to get to do what I do for a living very much. Like I, I've loved doing grace notes and I, I've loved being in neon trees and I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I get to do. So I do keep hold of that appreciation and gratitude. So it's not like it's become a job like any other job where I just desire to get out of it. Just, just, right. just in case we were thinking it was that, but <laughs> I think I, I think it's easier to get carried away with all the nonsense 
that comes with being in a public position. And I, I'm not a star, I'm whatever, but I, I think you can, you can believe, you can choose to believe people who don't know you and what they say about you, or you can choose to surround your people, yourself by people who do know you and use that as your mirror. And I think when things go awry is when people use their social media followings as mirrors or their fans as mirrors, rather than using their closest confidants who don't care. Like one of the greatest and worst things about my husband is that he really frankly could not care less that I do what I do. <laughs> like, you know, much to my chagrin and also my gratitude. Because on the one hand, it's like really refreshing to know that he likes me. You know what I mean? Like, that I, I could lose my job or my talents tomorrow and he would like me just as much and we would just navigate what that means and we would move on. You know what I mean? So at least there's none of that like, oh no, what if he doesn't like me? What if we don't, what, is the, what if this next album doesn't do as well and he doesn't, he loses his his, you know, appreciation for me. But at the same time, sometimes I wish he would care more. <laughs> He's just like, like a little more interested in what's Sebastian, going on. If you're listening, this is all. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's the beauty of it. He won't listen to this. <laughs> he doesn't care. But uh, no, I mean, I think, but I think that's the difference. Like, I think early on, you know, we had a lot of buzz about us in Neon Trees and it was kind of a, it was a weird ride. And I think we could have, very easily gotten lost in the accolades or in, you know, the brief star rising or whatever. And I just, that wasn't really an option for me. And it wasn't even really something I wanted to do. Luckily for me, I was already married. Like I married Sebastian in January of 2010. And that's when Animal came out and our album followed in March. And so like I was already tied down to responsibility that I had chosen. You know, it's like my own commitment that I made. So I'm actually really great, grateful for that. I, I don't know how I would navigate it as well, being single, honestly. I'm, I owe basically all of my faithfulness to my husband. <laughs> so it's his responsibility. If he, ever, if he ever screws me over, I'm in real trouble. No, really, if uh, Sebastian ever does listen to this, I hope he just knows that everybody thinks he's the greatest guy in the world now. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to touch on two things. I have two follow-up questions and one is a little bit lighter than the other. The first question is, I'm now curious how you and Sebastian met. Oh, well, that's actually, it's a pretty involved good story, but I can, I can try and pare it down a little bit. <laughs> so I served a church mission in Germany and that's how I learned how to speak German and became acquainted with the culture. And then I came back and went out to, so I'm from Chicago. And so I went out from Chicago to BYU because I had met this guy on my mission named Bryce Taylor. And Bryce was an elder. We never served in the same district or anything. We like rubbed shoulders a couple of times, but our mission president let the office elders listen to my old band's music. So he was in the office elders van once and was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, this is Sister Doty. That's my maiden name, Sister Doty's band. And he's like, what? And so he got permission to call me on our mission from our mission president and ask me to play music with him, with him when we get back. And I was like, yeah, right. What? I was like, whatever. And so he's like, no, really, I'm getting home six weeks after you. I'm going to call you. And I was like, okay, like whatever. I didn't think it was going to happen. Sure enough, six weeks after I got home, Sunday rolls around. 
I get a call from Bryce Taylor. He's like, hey, when you coming out? And I was like, I don't, what do you mean? He's like, come to Utah. You got to play music with me. And I was like, eh, no, whatever. And we chatted and had a good time and became really good friends. And he would just call me every Sunday. When you coming out? When you coming out? So I would start every conversation. So he's like, I would say 75% of the reason I applied to BYU, just because I was like, oh, why not apply and just see if I get in? And I don't know, what do I got? hold me down here. Not a lot. You know, like I broke up my bands to go on my mission. And so, you know, I don't have a lot of things doing here. So I got into BYU, got a scholarship. And so I was like, okay, I can't not go. So I went out and then we ended up, I played guitar before my mission and he played guitar and we got together and it wasn't that cool. And so we kind of just were friends and then I (laughs) felt bad and then he felt bad. And so... I started playing the drums because of Bryce, because I was like, oh, I feel bad. I have a drum set from when I was little. Why don't I play the drums? You play the guitar. Let's see if that's cool. And it was cool. So my whole point is Bryce Taylor uh, got a roommate whose name was Sebastian. And at some <laughs> point in time, I think it was like 2005. And I don't remember meeting him. He doesn't remember meeting me for the first time. He just appeared in our friend group because I was over there all the time. And we'd always hang out. We'd go ice camping and, and you know, we went on vacation together every summer to have a supai, which is this beautiful waterfall place in the West Rim of the Grand Canyon. And so like the point is Sebastian just appeared and he was actually younger than I am. And so he went on his mission after I met him. And I I thought he was a walking punchline, basically, because he would always do these weird, elaborate, very committed jokes for days at a time. And I never knew like who he actually was until he decided to go on a mission and he had his farewell. So all of our friend group went into his farewell to support him. And he gave his talk and I was like, oh, wait a minute. He's a person who has like a testimony of Jesus and he's kind of cool and neat. So my friend was going on a mission. My good girlfriend was going on a mission. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to write her anyway every week. So I'll just write you. And he was like, cool, that's great. Because, you know, I know our other friends aren't going to be great about writing and it would be nice. And so I was like, great. So I wrote him his whole mission. And then he got back basically the month after I moved to California with the trees. So we were ships in the night and then we never wrote each other because it's like, that's awkward. What are you going to do? Keep emailing every week when you're not on your mission. So <laughs> we didn't write. And then I, w- I ended up moving back after a year to Utah with trees because we, we did what we could do in California. And then we we're like, okay, let's move back to Utah. And so we did. And he was around and, Interestingly enough, my in 2009, our studio schedule recording our first uh, album, Habits, had changed last minute so I could go on that friend vacation to have a supai I was just talking about, and he was going. And so I got back into town two days before we were going to leave, and we had this have a supai planning meeting with all of our friends where we got together and decided who's going which car and who's going to bring what and whatever. And he was there and I was there. And that was the first time I remember getting out of the car and seeing him there and thinking, oh, Sebastian, question mark, you know, and he he had the same kind of experience. And then I rode down in the same car that he rode down in. And we were talking on the way down, just kind of catching up because it had been, you know, I think two years. And he was like, oh, so, you know, what are you doing? I was like, actually, I'm in the middle of recording my first album. We got signed by a major label. And he's like, whoa, you could be my sugar mama. And that ended up happening. And then uh, (laughs) we went down to the Grand Canyon. All of our friends had already gotten married. And so we started making fun of them as a couple. So we would just basically harp on all of their stupid coupleisms. We would make fun of them and pretend to be a couple to show it. And then we were like one time holding hands and he was like, this doesn't feel that weird. And I was like, no, it doesn't. So basically it was like our whole relationship has been a relationship chicken and nobody has pulled off the road yet. So here we are, four kids (laughs) married. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) 
That is incredible. I hope that all the teenage boys listening, like hoping to score a really cool wife are like, wow, I really need to step up my mission farewell game. You know? I know. Yeah, you know what? That's because so you true. you never know who you're going to get. Listening. Yeah. Exactly. Who you're going to impress. Um, another question that I had, thank you for sharing. That's an oh, amazing story. <laughs> we had a, we had a game on my mission where we would ask people at dinner, like how they met and we would tell them when they were the winner of our game. And it was one of my favorite things. So I appreciate you sharing that story. The other thing I was going to ask is you, you mentioned that, that fame and your experience with neon trees has been a bit of a roller coaster. And I know on one of the interviews that I watched, you talked about how people think of it as like that thing you do where like somebody shows up and a guy in a really nice camper wants to put your song on the radio. And then it's like this crazy rise to fame that you talked about the grind and the work that it takes. And I think that's so important to emphasize because it isn't magic and it does take work. But I also wondered what memories do you cherish and are you grateful to have experienced? I mean, there are so many. There are so many. I, we, fe- we feel very fortunate. I can speak for my whole band here. We, we reminisce often about how grateful we are for things and, you know, just how how lucky we've been getting to do the things we've gotten to do. I, I think it was wild. I think it was the second uh, year touring on our first album. Or maybe, no, was it after that? I don't remember when it was. Must have been in the Everybody Talks, so second album. When we did in the same year, we did the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and New Year's Rock and Eve in Times Square, which is just insane. Oh, wow. Those are things where it's just it's just foolish. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, you're like, is this my world. life? Right. It was like, uh, do you remember Sai Opa Gingnam style? He was also at the New Year's Rock and <laughs> Where is he now? Um, Carly Rae Jepsen, I think, was the other one. But it's just like stuff like that. I just have one more question before we get to our final question. And that is, in the I Am A Mormon video, which has been watched millions of times, which is pretty cool, mm-hmm. you talked about the importance of knowing who you are. And I wondered, you're a mom now, uh, you were a mom then, but your your kids are getting older. And I think that that is something where you want so badly for your kids to understand the importance of knowing who you are, because everything hinges on that knowledge. And it ultimately, like, I think that that knowledge, who we are and what we're worth can change everything so why would you say that that is important to you to teach your kids? And how are you trying to teach them that? Well, I mean, it's super important to teach your kids who they are and by who they are. Let's just say who they are. They're, they're children of a heavenly father who is their God. They're, you know, heirs to perfection if they so choose, which is like kind of amazing. And so I, to know that is informs decisions and i think that that would be why i would say it's so important that for me to teach them that so they can understand for, and also it it basically answers every question that you could have about this mortality like why am i here because god sent you well where did i come from you came from the presence of god well where am i going you want to get back to him that's the whole goal so like it informs you about your purpose and informs every decision you make because then you can say, okay, well, is this decision going to get me closer to my goal of returning to my heavenly father? Or is this going to take me away? Is this decision going to help me to have the spirit 
to guide me or is this decision going to pull me away? And so, I mean, those are the reasons it's important. And then how, that's a great freaking question. I've, I'm fumbling through parenthood trying to figure that out. It's, I mean, my kids aren't very old, you know, almost eight, six, and almost five and four. So it's sometimes it feels very, um, what would be the right word? It feels like banging your head against the wall because you're like <laughs> trying to share with them these precious truths and they're just like, eh, what can we eat? What's for dessert? Whatever. Uh. So, Sometimes I feel like a real failure in in that respect, but we keep talking to him about it. And I remember as a kid being like, oh, whatever, we're going to talk about God again. Like my kids just gave that to me. We're doing this, you know, do a little scripture and a a family prayer every night before we go to bed. And I just share with them the scripture and they're like, oh, we're going to, oh, we have to talk about this now. How long? And I'm like, guys, you just watch TV for like an hour and 15 minutes. And all I want to do is share a gospel truth with you. That's the most important thing in the world for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, think about that. This is the most important thing. And we're spending 10 minutes on it. You've spent all day doing other things. Anyway, they didn't care. They didn't get it. But I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. Well, that's all you can do on this podcast at the end of every episode. And I would imagine, hopefully, this episode will attract some people that haven't typically tuned in. And so on this podcast, we always ask the same question at the very end, which is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To me, it means never giving up in the pursuit of um, perfection. Because it's really frustrating to know that you're never going to get it in this life. You know, it's it's it can be very disheartening and it can make you feel like, what's the point? But just I think I tell this to my kids all the time. I say, you guys, God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to not give up. So it's okay that you've made these mistakes. It's okay that that wasn't great. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's just not stop trying. Failure only happens when you stop trying. And I truly believe that. I think that's something that my, both of my parents really instilled in me by example and by word. So I, I hope I can give that to my kids as well. So to me, all in means never giving up. Thank you so much, Elaine. You're a delight. Thank you so much for oh, sharing your, your thoughts and experiences. It's been a treat. Thank you. We are so grateful to Elaine Bradley for coming on today's show. You can watch Elaine on Grace Notes, which airs Sundays at 11 a.m. Mountain Time on BYU TV. You can stream BYU TV live or watch all past episodes on BYUtv.org. As always, thank you to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thank you for spending your valuable time with us. We'll be with you again next week.